Welcome to the markets. Hello again, Orion Samuelson joined by Max Armstrong this week as we take a look at market activity on Wall Street to the agricultural community. We do it every week at this time and we're grateful that you would join us for our comments on the market activity. Never dull, always exciting, but this week we dealt with a four-day trading week because the markets closed today in observance of Good Friday. But the dateline, Friday, April 9, Scottsdale, Arizona, where the natives are getting restless because temperatures, daytime, moving into the low 90s, and they're saying, hey, that's too early for summertime temperatures in Arizona. Should be coming about a month later. But that's the story here. Meanwhile, weather continues to be a story agriculturally in many different parts of the country and the South particularly catching it with some violent weather this week. But let's go back to uh, yesterday and see how we traded on the final trading day of the week and where we ended. Industrials led the S&P 500 and the Dow moderately higher yesterday after strong economic data and some healthy corporate earnings reports. All three major indices closed in positive territory heading into the three-day Easter weekend. For the holiday-shortened week, the S&P snapped its three-week winning streak while the Dow and the NASDAQ boasted weekly gains. And the bellwether S&P 500 has hovered within a percent of its all-time high for the last five sessions. So uh, let's take a look at the numbers on Wall Street. The Dow up 110 points on the final trading day of the week. It ended at 26,559. The S&P gained four and a half points, and it ended at 29.05. The NASDAQ composite added two points to end the week at 79.98. Of the 11 major sectors in the S&P 500, seven closed in the black yesterday. Industrials, the biggest percentage gainers, up a little more than 1%. And uh, looking at a couple of stock reports to end the trading session, online scrapbook company Pinterest jumped 28% in its market debut yesterday. Meanwhile, Lyft Incorporated dropped 2%. The ride-hailing services stock now trading 19% below its $72 offer price. So that's how we ended the week on Thursday, a three-week holiday or a three-day holiday for traders in Wall Street and agricultural activity. But now let's get back to a full trading week and that will happen next week and let's see what's going to happen with the earnings report season in full gear. The world's biggest plane maker and a Dow 30 company, Boeing, expected to report lower first quarter profit and sales on Wednesday, of course hurt by the groundings of its best-selling 737 MAX jets. 
Other Dow components reporting results next week include Verizon Communications, Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, and United Technologies on Tuesday. Microsoft, Caterpillar, and Visa will report on Wednesday. 3M and Intel Corporation will report on Thursday, and Chevron and Exxon Mobil Corporations will be reporting on Friday. Verizon expected to report an increase in first quarter revenue as the largest U.S. wireless carrier added more net new phone subscribers who pay a monthly bill. Amazon.com expected to post an increase in its first quarter revenue and profit on Thursday, helped by a rise in the world's biggest online retailers' ad sales and the success of its cloud business. Facebook, the world's largest social network, will announce its first quarter results on Wednesday. On Tuesday, Twitter expected to report an increase in first quarter revenue, helped by growth in its video advertising business. And also on Tuesday, photo messaging app Snapchat's parent, Snap Incorporated, expected to post flat daily active users in its first quarter. On Wednesday, a long-awaited report, Tesla will announce results for its first quarter, which saw a major drop in deliveries of its vehicles to customers. Elon Musk expected to answer questions on the earnings call about 2019 profitability, delivery targets, and the need for any capital raise. The number two U.S. automaker Ford Motor Company reports first quarter results on Thursday. It's a relatively light economic calendar for next week. The gross domestic products due on Friday, durable goods and weekly jobless claims on Thursday, new home sales on Tuesday. And according to a Reuters survey of economists, the U.S. economy likely increased at a 1.8% pace in the first three months of 2019. Back to earnings reports, AT&T expected to report an increase in first quarter revenue on Wednesday as the third largest U.S. wireless carrier added more net new phone subscribers who pay a monthly bill. AbbVie will report first quarter earnings on Thursday when investors will be watching for comments on the drug maker's cancer drug after U.S. regulators placed a partial clinical hold on trials testing it in multiple myeloma patients. The company is also likely to answer questions about pricing policy going forward with lawmakers criticizing the costs associated with its rheumatoid arthritis drug Humira That's the world's top-selling prescription medicine. Biogen expected to report a year-over-year increase in first-quarter profit before the markets open on Wednesday. And Bristol-Myers Squibb reports first-quarter results before markets open on Thursday. Starbucks reports second-quarter results on Thursday. World's biggest coffee chain is expected to post an increase in second quarter same-store sales 
banking on a loyal fan base across geographies, especially in the United States. Starbucks also expected to grow its closely monitored digital membership program, while sales at its fastest-growing market, China, also expected to benefit from the rapid expansion in delivery. Harley-Davidson, one of the longtime names in the United States, expected to report lower first-quarter earnings on Tuesday, hurt by the higher tariff costs as well as a continued slide in sales in the United States. And investors will watch out for comments on the measures to mitigate the impact of President Trump's trade war. The motorcycle maker also expected to provide an update on the launch of its first electric bike, Livewire. And uh, maybe in advance of Easter Sunday, you've been seeing an increase in television commercials by Asbro. And it's going to be reporting on Tuesday. Expected to report a decline in first quarter sales due to the loss of the major retailer in Toys R Us. However, investors will pay more attention to the company's outlook for its toys based on big movie franchises, with this year promising multiple Disney blockbusters in New Avenger, Star Wars, and Frozen films. Mattel also expected to report another decline in first quarter sales on Thursday, with demand for the company's Barbie dolls expected to slow this year. Federal Reserve Board holds an open meeting on Tuesday to discuss a proposal to simplify and increase the transparency of the board's rules for determining control of a banking organization. So there's a lot going on on the earnings reports that traders will be watching next week as we get back to a five-day trading week. And let me see, we now go full trading weeks until the Memorial Day holiday week shutdown of markets across the country. We'll be back with more when we continue on the markets. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Our studio guest this weekend, David Hightower, The Hightower Report. Uh, let's talk about China. It's hard to not talk about China when we're visiting about the, the world of markets here. What is the latest we're hearing in terms of a trade agreement? Are we within a month of having some significant announcement? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I do think, though, that it's evolving in which there may be key points that will be taken by the markets as to be a reality. Um, by this, by that, maybe even a change in what's tariffed and what's not. So it could, it could maybe end it for the markets we care about. As far as agriculture is concerned. Exactly. The sticking points, of course, have been basically, what, copyrights and policing. 
any kind of an agreement, but there's some indication maybe they're working their way through those, David? Yeah, and I think a little bit on the compliance and the back-checking and so forth. And I, and I also think that uh, maybe the U.S. is trying to hold out to really drive down what any residual tariffs would be. I mean, we're, we're maybe further off from zero tariffs uh, than maybe what the market uh, expects. Let's talk about the hog situation. As far as their hog herd is concerned, uh, solid information from those people, from the Chinese themselves, has been hard to come by, has it not? Well, and it has, and I think over the last several weeks, we've seen a uh, clamping down on uh, allowing the negative news to uh, come out of China. Uh, we have seen, uh, naturally, an escalation. I think a bank out of Europe indicated that maybe a 30% loss in the hog herd. And, you know, in the market, we have anywhere from 1 million hogs lost to as much as 200 million hogs. And maybe 150 million might be more appropriate when you look over it couple-year basis. That's a wide range. It really is, and it's it's going to be in the upper end of that uh, targeting because we had the same similar situation in Russia, uh, maybe even worse in China because of the diversified, spread-out geographical production area. Uh, and, you know, you saw a 16% reduction there, so that's an easy hurdle for the current problem. While we tend to focus on China, and that's where the hogs are, other countries are going through this too, are they not? And that's going to contribute to the global pork deficit? Yeah, and I've, I've been in uh, Vietnam, um, Bangkok uh, recently, and they are uh, very concerned about it. Uh, even even China came out uh, today indicating that uh, the problem may be severe enough that the, the world just won't be able to meet that supply. So that's kind of a new revelation by them. What is the capability of substitution then to the degree that poultry, which of course could be ramped up dramatically quickly, and then beef, certainly that's a longer term answer, but... Will the Chinese readily embrace these other meats? Um, I think I think so. I mean, the transition was already there, and we already saw farms uh, for poultry, massive farms. Uh, they, so they already started to expand that area. But I think this will be a seminal point in history in which we'll transition from fresh meat consumption in China to frozen meat. And I also think there's been a very low per capita consumption of beef, and this is going to open the door. We're already seeing a huge increase in the exports to China, and I think this is going to be proved to be a pivot point in the the future. So the beef industry, the global beef industry on down the road, could really benefit long-term from this crisis for pork. And looking at 10 other commodity markets, uh, consistently the world has underestimated just exactly how much and how quickly uh, consumption of commodities can ramp up. Let's talk about uh, the diminished soybean demand that that might mean on down the road. What's your anticipation there? They'll need less beans from the world, you would think, if they have a diminished hog herd. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's – um, and they're dumping pork on the market now, so it's a double whammy uh, when it comes to the short term. But um, I think that over the long term, they're going to have to rebuild it, and they're going to have to eat something in the interim. Uh, so uh, – and as for trade – uh, it's not necessarily how much they buy from us. It's how much do they buy overall. So um, I think in the markets are futures. Uh, so we've already factored that into prices, and maybe we'll finish factoring that in in the next month. How bearish are you on the soybean market? Uh, I'm not. Um, uh, I, I really think that uh, the market has done a, uh, more than enough fa- factoring of this. And uh, we've had now two cycles in which we expected record supply. So uh, I really think that uh, the the low prices uh, take place at the period of highest supply. And we're already generally looking forward 
through this crop and then expecting a large crop. Well, if you're not berry soybeans, are you friendly corn then? Well, no, I'm berry soybeans. I'm just, I don't have the dire projections, and I would even suggest that uh, not to hedge corn uh, if you're an annual type of guy or use soybean puts to hedge corn. (laughs) And I would also suggest that I might be interested in selling futures as a corn hedge just because uh, when we do get it in the ground, which we always do, and we can do it quickly, there will be a reaction, and I think that could be the low of the year. So I'd either not hedge corn, hedge it for the next three weeks, or buy puts and, uh, and beans and protect it for the year. It's a big what if, to be sure, but what if we were to see some significant progress announced on trade along about the time we're getting some planting delays? That would be a spike that the producer would really need to seize, wouldn't it? Exactly, and, and just a change in psychology would take place when we have a record uh, managed money net short in corn futures. And, you know, I want to bring something up. We're seeing a resurgence of uh, biofuel. Not only in China with the uh, projections for a massive expansion, uh, which may burn up to an additional 350 million bushels of U.S. corn, we're now seeing mandates for biodiesel throughout Southeast Asia. Been there a lot. We're seeing it take place. A little bit of a reduction in what can be exported in terms of palm oil. That could change the complexion of the soybean market. So not all negative. Soybeans could wind up in that part of the world to produce fuel then, you're saying? Uh, Exactly. Well, no, uh, more appropriately, it would be that the palm oil supply would be used in that area. Then that uh, supply would not be competing with soybean oil in the rest of the world. And if you take a little bit out of palm oil... Bean oil, canola oil, all those other edible oils, they can't possibly make up for that shortage. So for all of the hand-wringing we have here at home about our biofuels industry, don't get too bearish on it because of the global response, you're saying. Exactly. And, you know, there's industrial use, but then there's use for fuel. And you can quite literally burn a lot of supply quickly with that kind of use. Will we see an increase in our domestic biofuels processing capability or is it just going to be tapped off here and then we'll uh, we'll just be able to take advantage of the global demand for biofuels elsewhere well i mean i think corn uh consumption for fuel will be slower um we have to go to something like e15 or something so you may get a lift out of that but keep in mind that uh, recycled oil, recycled vegetable oil right now is uh, at a significant premium to soybean oil. And now it's profitable for the first time in five years to actually make biodiesel out of soybean oil. So that's kind of a, uh, a support underneath the market. We know, of course, so well from recent history that we can plant the corn crop in the United States so quickly. It takes a very little of a window to do that if we get that dry weather. What are you hearing, though, from forecasters? What are you anticipating in terms of possible planting delays here? You know, on one hand, uh, we've become so used to getting it in really early, uh, and it would seem like there's a lot of threats with flooding, wet, cold, etc., uh, but the trade's already factored in a good crop year. So it's kind of a collision of reality and, and expectation. So I don't know. I have to go with the odds, and I have to say we usually get it in. Uh, what's the statistic? We can get 55% in in a week or something like that. So uh, the odds suggest that's why I would hedge corn in the short term because they'll probably get it in. If we get out to uh, the 30th of April here and we have maybe only 20% of the corn crop in the ground, is is that is that Certainly friendly to the market. Absolutely. And the divergence that would take place between corn and soybean prices in that event would be massive uh, because the rotation into beans already would worsen an already bad balance sheet. Well, it's an interesting point to ponder and not unrealistic. We're only 12 days away from the end of April here. And 
We haven't turned a wheel to a great extent in many, many areas of the Corn Belt of the United States. We see these social media shots here and there, but there's a lot to be done yet, isn't there? Yeah, but from a market technical kind of mechanical perspective, when you have a record short by the funds, you can get one of those moves in prices where people say this doesn't justify with the fundamentals because all those people change their negative view into positive. It puts a lot of buying into the market. So a psychological rotation in sentiment could result in a, in a pretty big, maybe an outsized reaction in corn prices. So it's not insignificant. When it happens, it can be quick and short-lived, correct? And uh, that should be an opportunity to act on. David, nice to have you here as always. We sure appreciate it. Thank you. David Hightower, the Hightower Report. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. In the world of agriculture, you heard Max and his guest, David Hightower, talking about the China pork situation. And a short reference to a news story that came out this week from the Agricultural Ministry of China, but we got it from financial services firm Rabobank. And the headline simply said, China set to face shortage of pork that the world cannot fill. African swine fever likely to cut the country's herd by half and push prices up by 70%, straining global supplies. And according to the analyst with Rabobank, a lot of herds will disappear due to infection and liquidation. There will be a great shortage. We don't think any country in the world or the whole world combined could cover this supply gap. Even after increasing imports, there will remain a supply shortage. And again, we point out the difference between pork production and consumption in China and the United States. China is the world's biggest pork producer with roughly 433 million pigs, according to the USDA. And the latest information from the UN Food and Agricultural Organization shows more than a million pigs have been culled since the outbreak was detected. Again, and we do like to emphasize this, African swine fever only affects hogs. It's fatal to pigs and boars. It cannot be transmitted to humans and we're still trying to find a vaccine that will put an end to the disease besides having to cull and euthanize the uh, hogs that have the disease. The uh, tariffs on U.S. pork exports to China rose to 62% from 12% previously, but Chinese buyers are ordering in the time and the hope that by the time the shipments are made, the tariffs would have been relaxed. In the week ending March 7th, China bought 23,846 tons of U.S. pork. That's about eight times the amount purchased a week earlier. 
according to USDA, and we are beginning to see reaction in the marketplace with a fairly large frequency of daily up-and-down limit moves in the Lean Hog Futures program. But there are other situations besides China and the trade disagreement between China and the United States. We still don't have the congressional approval for the uh, uh, mexico Canada-U.S. trade agreement, still waiting for Congress to approve that. And then we're still waiting for trade talks to get underway between the European Union and the United States. And we did get word this week from European Trade Commissioner Cecilia Malmström that the European Union is ready to start talks on a trade agreement with the United States and would like to conclude a deal before year-end. But that might not be possible, because in the topics that are open for discussion on the trade agreement, agriculture is not included. I can't imagine talking trade with any country in the world, depending on the United States, where agriculture would not be considered at all in the trade negotiations. And the, again, trade negotiator for the EU said, we are ready as soon as they are. Didn't take long for reaction from people in this country, particularly Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, who is chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. He said a U.S.-EU trade deal that did not include agriculture would be highly unlikely. Getting back to uh, the Mexico-Canada-U.S. agreement, a report did come out this week that I guess is needed before Congress will take the vote. And the report said uh, that the new North American Free Trade Agreement would modestly boost the U.S. economy, especially auto parts production, but it may curb vehicle assembly and limit consumer choice in cars. That report from the U.S. International Trade Commission. The ITC report is a crucial step in the push for Congress to consider ratification of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, which was signed by President Trump and the leaders of the other two countries last year to replace the 25-year-old North American Free Trade Agreement. So, again, trade talks beyond China and the United States are continuing to take place or are going to take place. Still looking at all of the items in the U.S. Trade Census for 2017, which was the first uh, agricultural census taken since 2012. Talked about some of those numbers last week, but I really wanted to take a look at the numbers from California to see if it is still the number one agricultural state in the United States. And yes, it is still number one in agriculture. Uh, the state's cattle and calf inventory, though, declined from 5.4 million to 5.2 million. 
Number of ranches in California fell from 16,764 five years ago to 13,694. And grain acreage has cratered in California. Corn and wheat farmers and acreage cut in half. The value of the state's vegetables, melons, potatoes, and sweet potatoes combined for nearly $8.2 million. Fruits and tree nuts combined to generate $17.4 billion in the state of California. But there, too, the number of farms and ranches did decline. The average farm uh, is now 340 uh, 328 acres. That's down from 348 in the previous. Or hang on just a second. Let me get this right. Average acreage went from 328 to 348 over the five-year period, and farms 45.5 billion dollar market value of agricultural products sold in 2017 topped the 42.6 billion generated in the year 2012. So indeed we did see changes occur in the California agricultural census, but they're still the number one agricultural state in the country. So let's take a look at where markets ended yesterday and where they'll start on Monday. First of all, soybeans turned higher after dropping to a five-month low yesterday. And at the end of the day, July soybeans had gained two cents. And we'll start trading next Monday at $8.94 and a quarter cents a bushel. June or July corn unchanged at 367 and a quarter and July wheat down half a penny at 448 and a quarter in the Thursday trade at the Chicago Board of Trade and those are the numbers that will begin trading on Monday. Thank you so much for joining us. Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson here on The Markets.